Wow, what a morning so far. This has really been, really been fun. Um, let's just give the kids a big hand for what they did. Let's just one, one more time. Way to go, guys. Well, we're in our series called Hashtag Gratitude, and uh, we've uh, been talking about gratitude in a variety of different settings. And this morning, I want to talk about gratitude in life's common trials. And I want you to uh, imagine something. I want you to imagine that you're with me in Cuba. You're with my translator and I, and we are going to my translator's parents' house that looks something like this. Uh, they want to meet me, and so we go toward their house. He opens up the door, says, Mom, Dad, I'm here. Mom and Dad come out to greet us. And the moment they see me, they're smiles get really big, and my translator introduces me. This is Pastor Rod from Oklahoma. They're so excited. It's not a very big house there, and yet I will tell you that their hospitality made me feel as if I'm walking into this big manor home, and I was like a very noteworthy guest. They were amazingly hospitable toward me while I was there. We spent the next hour and a half talking about our mutual faith in Christ, and the entire time, they are manifesting a God-centered positivity that I found amazing, amazing. And then as I was about to leave, uh, his mom and dad said, next time you come, please, please stay at our house. Now, I thought that was nice. You know, I thought that's probably what they say to everybody, you know, uh, stay at our house. And uh, I said to him, I said, your mom and dad were really nice. They didn't really mean for me to stay at their house next time, did they? And he said, yes, they did. He said, you know, you know my, my mom and dad love being hospitable. You bless them in your coming. They want to bless you in your returning. Now, you know, when I think about, about that, that positivity and that sense of hospitality, I think, you know, this couple lived on $25 a month. 25 bucks a month. And they didn't have all the things that we have, the things we consider essentials, things like washer and a dryer, a microwave, a functioning oven. They didn't have all that stuff. And yet they're manifesting this amazing God-centered positivity. And what, what I find about people all over Cuba, one of the things I love about Cuba is it's like politically so unstable and crazy, and yet among the believers, there seems to be a God-centered optimism and positivity. I love that about what I see in Cuba. And what they illustrate to me is that you can have a God-centered optimism and gratitude even in the midst of life's common trials. And that's what we want to talk about, the, the, about this morning. Now, I want to start with a, with a premise. And my pre premise is that God has ordained a principle about life. And that is we learn gratitude best when life is rough. Yes, we may learn some gratitude when life is good, but it's harder to do that because we don't necessarily have to trust God when life is good. But we learn gratitude best when life is rough because we're faced with a choice. And the choice is, what do I do? Do I do what is natural to me, which is to grumble? Or do I do what is unnatural and counterintuitive, and that is I exercise gratitude? And when life is rough, it's very easy to grumble. 
we just murmur against the circumstances. We get upset. We gripe about what's going on. Do we do that, or do we exercise a sense of gratitude? Well, James gives us a process by which we can learn how to show gratitude in life's common trials. Now, I want to start with, uh, with verse 2, and James starts with courage. And what James is going to tell us is that we grow through trials by being mentally prepared, realizing sometimes life can be tough. We start with verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So we have to start with, with the question, what is a trial? Well, by way of background, the people in Jerusalem encountered a serious series of persecutions. And they were leaving Jerusalem and going back to either their hometowns or they were going and starting new businesses and new lives someplace else. And they were all going through serious trials. This is probably the first New Testament letter that was written. And the very first thing said in the first New Testament letter written is, counter to joy will you encounter various trials? Because they were encountering serious trials. So the question that we want to start with is, what is a trial? What is a trial? Well, a trial is any form of pressure or negative circumstance that comes as an unwelcome intrusion into your life. How many of you have encountered an unwelcome intrusion into your life? It was a surprising unwelcome intrusion. That's a trial. Trials occur anytime an unwelcome intrusion comes into our life. It could be as simple as losing your keys when you need to go to an appointment. It could be something like waking up with a migraine on the day of your final presentation. Or you, you break your mother-in-law's lamp and your mother-in-law's coming. Trials are, are small or large or big. Or, it, it, they're just a whole set of common frustrations in our life. And James emphasizes these can come up at any time for any reason. Notice the word encounter. That word encounter there is the same word that's used of the guy falling into a problem on the, uh, on the, the road uh, from, Jer from Jericho. You know, the parable of the Good Samaritan, this guy is traveling along and he, he falls into a bunch of bandits who want to beat him up and, and rob him. And James is saying we can fall into trials at any time. Here's another question about, about trials. What kind of trials might come up during the course of, of your life? Um, you know, they're, they're, James uses the word various. It's the same word from which we, the word uh, Joseph's multicolored coat comes, comes from. So trials are all sorts of diverse things that might happen in our life. They might differ in intensity. They might differ in the pain that's involved. Some are short. Some are very long. Our daughter in Seattle had a tree fall in her house about a year ago, and that launched her into a series of trials that were very difficult, dealing with the, the hassle of being away from their house for a while, dealing with the hassle of not having a functioning kitchen for a while, dealing with the hassle of, of the insurance company not cooperating and paying up on time. Trials are big and small, and they're crazy, and they're, they're chaotic. And one of the things that I think we, we wonder when we read something like this is, why, why doesn't God make life easier? 
Why? Why does he make life just, just a, little bit, a little bit easier? I mean, we, we think life ought to be better than this. And that impulse to say, life should be better than this, is half right and it's half wrong. It's half right in the sense that we are made for heaven and life in heaven will be progressively better throughout eternity. When you're there for you know, 10 billion years, life is going to be amazing for you. But this isn't heaven. This is earth. And right now on earth, one of the ways we learn strength and growth is by going through trials and learning how to trust God in their midst. And so <clears throat> I'm wondering if you're ever glad that you've gone through particular trials in your life. I mean, how many of you could say, I've been through trials, wouldn't want to go through that particular one again, but having gone through it, I'm glad I went through it. Why are you glad you went through it? Because you know something about God that you didn't know before. You know something about yourself you didn't know before. Your trials have caused you to grow in ways that you would not have grown had you not gone through those trials. So that's our orientation to trials. They're common, frustrating things that come up at any time for any reason. Now what James does is he gives us a fourfold gratitude process as we go through those trials. And uh, the gratitude process is in James uh, 1, 2 through 12. And this growth process starts with the command to counter to joy. Count it a joy. Now that sounds odd, right? Because it seems as if he's telling us to do something we don't feel. Like I'm supposed to be happy when I'm not happy. I'm supposed to be joyful when I'm sad. I'm supposed to be grateful when a hassle has happened. What, what, like, what is, how does that even work? Well, the word that James uses is the word count or reckon or think forward. Reckon ahead for something. So here's how it works. Imagine that you're going on a vacation and all the reservations are set up. You're all ready to go on the vacation. And a couple of days before the vacation, you're just daydreaming about what you're going to encounter. You're thinking about getting off the plane. It's going to be really nice. You're going to go to the beach. You're going to see the palm trees swing. It's going to be nice and relaxing. What are you doing in that? You're thinking forward to a joy that's about ready to happen. That's what James is saying, telling us to do. When a trial happens, reckon that joy will come in the aftermath of that trial. It's a little bit like uh, having a QuickBooks program. Maybe you've got a business. You're using QuickBooks. And you've got an accounts receivable. That accounts receivable is going to come in, but it's not there yet. So you write into your QuickBooks program, accounts receivable. Here's the, here's the amount. Do you have that amount in hand yet? No, it's an accounts receivable. But you will get it at some point in time, and it's an asset on your balance sheet. So what he's saying is, reckon that joy is going to come as a result of this trial, even though you may not be feeling the joy or the happiness yet. That is a form of gratitude, counting it a joy. Well, that raises a question. Why does joy come in a trial? Like, how does that process happen? Going back to verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith 
produces endurance. Endurance. How many of you love to endure with things? How many of you learned how to play piano and you had to endure practices? Or you decided to run a marathon and you had to endure the pain that happened at about mile 18? Or how many of you did gymnastics and you had to endure the frustration and the pain of learning how to, how to do that? Endurance is painful in the moment, but it produces really good results. Endurance is a little bit like a watermelon seed. If, you, if I take a watermelon seed and I put it up, up here on the table and I press my thumb down on the watermelon seed, what does it do? It spurts out and it goes over here. What if I put my thumb down on the watermelon seed again? It spurts out and goes over here. Watermelon seeds don't remain under the pressure of my thumb, do they? Well, the word endure means to remain under. And if you take that watermelon seed and you put it in the ground, it remains under the ground and it produces a shoot and then it produces a watermelon. So this idea of endurance means that we remain under the pressure in order to have this good thing ultimately happen in our life. And then here's this promise. Let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What James is talking about here is, is reaching towards spiritual adulthood. The Greek word behind perfect is the word teleos. It means the end for which something was created. And the end for which we were created was a spiritual adulthood that is a well-rounded spiritual adulthood. I can't get to adulthood unless I have to endure hardship and difficulty. It just doesn't happen. Kids don't reach adulthood without learning how to endure through difficult issues. You as a parent sort of want your kids to have to go through struggles, don't you? Because that's how they learn. If you made everything really easy for your kids, they wouldn't learn what they learn if they have to, to struggle and learn to do it on, on their own. And so he's talking about well-rounded well -rounded, uh, adulthood. So let me give you a quick application of, of how to do this. When you are going to express gratitude or joy in a trial and counter to joy, what do you do? Number one, you acknowledge the pain to God. You acknowledge the pain. God, this is hard. God, this is a struggle. Lord, this is a trial. I'm acknowledging the pain. That's what the psalmist did all the time in the Old Testament. There is a genre of poetry in the Old Testament called an individual lament psalm. Those individual lament psalms start off in pain. God, I'm in pain. I'm struggling here, Lord. Lord, will you, will you please help me? My tears are flowing all night long on my bed. Lord, I'm in pain. But then, midway through the psalm, they anticipate the gain that they're going to have. So Psalm 22 is a great example of that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's an acknowledgment of the pain. But then midway through the psalm in verse 25, the psalmist then anticipates the gain. When this is over, you know, my praise is going to come to you in the great assembly. I'm going to pay my vows. Those would be vows of gratitude and thanksgiving. I'm going to pay my vows before those who fear him. So Jesus on the cross 
does that exact same thing. He acknowledges the pain and anticipates the gain. He says, Matthew 27, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then in John 19, 30, he says, it's finished. That's the, the Greek word tetelestai. It's done. It's a victory cry in anticipation of resurrection. So counting it a joy doesn't mean you don't acknowledge the pain. It means that while you are acknowledging the pain, you also say, God, I thank you. I'm anticipating the gain. That's process number one. And now we go to the second response in trials. That is ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. He said, if anyone lacks wisdom, that implies that often in a trial, we, we do lack wisdom. Some trials are so perplexing and so difficult. We've got to have somebody come alongside and, and help us. Now, some trials, you don't need the wisdom, right? Because your car has a flat tire, you fix the flat. No wisdom's needed there. But other trials are thorny and complicated and difficult, and you need help. So I talked to somebody uh, in the past 10 days, and, and they said, Rod, I, I've, I've just got this incredibly difficult decision I've got to make, and I, I, I need some wisdom about this. Well, that's, that's this command here. If you lack wisdom, ask. Now, his primary idea is ask of God, which leads me to wonder about something. Because James and the book of Proverbs are so similar, I wonder if James is thinking about wisdom here as a personification of the Spirit. Because sometimes in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is, a, is, is like a, a way of describing the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I, I wonder if James is doing that. If, if, if James is saying, if anyone lacks the wisdom of the Spirit of God, let him ask of God. If that's the case, this would be saying, Holy Spirit, I'm in this trial. It is a complicated trial. It's a thorny trial. I don't know where to go. Holy Spirit, will you please give me supernatural wisdom from you? And God promises it'll give it. And I love the way he, he promises that he will give it because he says he's not going to reproach you. It's really easy for us to project onto God that he's mad at us in a trial. So that if we say, God, will you please give me wisdom? We, we, we think God's up there saying, are you serious? <laughs> like, you've not taken the wisdom last time. Really, you want wisdom from me? I mean, you, you're the one who screwed up by doing this trial. Very easy for us to think wrong thoughts about God, like guilt-laden thoughts or shame-burdened thoughts when we're in a trial. And what James is saying is, no, God, God is not going to give you wisdom that way. He's, he's going to be generous. He's not going to reproach you. But there's a caveat. And the caveat is, he says, we must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf on the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. So here's the caveat. The caveat is that there is a way of doubting that prevents wisdom from coming. See, you know, in the Bible, there's good doubt and bad doubt. Good doubt is Mary being, is Mary willing to believe the angel, but Mary saying, 
I, 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 like, I believe, but, I, but how is this going to happen? She believes, but she wants more information about how. Bad doubt is a doubt that says, I don't think God can break through. Bad doubt is a doubt that says, I'm going to stay in my pessimism because that's kind of normal for me. And I'm just going to stay in my pessimism because it feels kind of comfortable. And I'm not going to believe that God can, can, can break through. That's the bad doubt. That's the, that he's, that's the doubt that he's talking about. So what, what James is really saying is if you lack wisdom, ask the Holy Spirit and anticipate the Holy Spirit's supernatural breakthrough and flow with that. Flow with that. And then that leads us to, to the next phase in the, in the process. Third response is to accept your circumstances. Now, the way that you accept your circumstances is accepting your circumstances relative to the financial condition that you're in. He says this, let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position. So here's the deal. If you're in a trial and you are financially deprived, you're in a good place. Why? Because you have got no place else to turn to but God. If you're in a trial and you have a lot of financial resources, you're not in as good a place, spiritually speaking, because it's going to be way easier for you to trust in your resources to bail you out of the trial than to trust in God. This is a hard one for us to understand, so let me, let, let me, let me explain this. He says, let the rich man glory in his humiliation, because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. What he's, what he's saying in this is this, I go through a trial, and what's my desire in the trial? I want relief, relief. If I'm economically deprived, I can't use money to give me relief. I have to trust in God in a more radical way. If I have access to lots of things, it's very easier, easy for me to use those things to get the relief and dull the effect of the trial. What James is saying is that sometimes it's a really good thing to just sit in the pain for a while and engage with God. Now, which group do we fall into everybody in this room, the poor man or the rich man? Well, based upon the time period in which we live and where we live, all of us in this room fall into the category of the rich person. Our temptation in a trial is to say, I hate this trial. I'm going to go spend money. Nothing, nothing inherently wrong with that, right? God has given us all things to richly enjoy. But in a trial, we might say, I'm in a bad way here. I'm going to go see a movie. Nothing wrong with the movie. I'm going to go shopping. Nothing wrong with shopping. I'm going to go on vacation. Nothing wrong with, with vacation. I'm going to dull the pain of this trial. Nothing inherently wrong with getting that relief. But here's the problem. The problem is, in a trial, the way that you grow is by engaging with God in the midst of the trial. It's by sitting in the pain for a little bit maybe journaling in, in the midst of that pain. One of the things I've loved is, uh, is reading some of Henry Nouwen's books, 
Jeff Grisham and I will sometimes discuss Henry Nouwen's books. And I love the way Nouwen talks about dealing with pain and not buying your way out of it or entertaining your way out of it. And all of us are tempted in pain to whip out our phones and to do whatever we do with our phones just to kind of distract ourselves from the pain. Look, none of that is inherently wrong, but there's a place for accepting our circumstances and being, being grateful that we engage primarily with God. He's the one who empowers that, that shift in perspective. And now we come to the final part of the gratitude process, and that is we persevere. We persevere. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now what happens is we come full circle. We counted it a joy in verse 2. Now in verse 12, we're blessed. In verse 2, we, we expressed our gratitude to God for what he would do. Now in verse 12, he's done it, and we're operating in blessing. And what he gives us is this thing called the crown of life. Uh, this is a great little term. It's used twice in the New Testament, here and in Revelation 2.10. And the crown of life in James 1.12 deals with life's common trials. The crown of life in Revelation 2.10 deals with life's ultimate trial, which is martyrdom for your faith. The, con the context in both is trials, one the common trials, one, one the ultimate trial. And I think what James is saying is that when we go through a trial successfully, God has built new character into our life. We have new character, a character that we didn't have before, a character now that has been formed so that we're on our way toward that maturity and that completeness. It's a little bit like an Olympic athlete who is in multiple Olympics. Let's say there's a, there's a guy who is an, uh, an archery genius, and I think he was in three or four Olympics. And those were separated, obviously, by four years. So he was in the Olympics over the course of 16 years. Amazing. So he wins gold medal in one Olympics. He wins a gold medal in a second Olympics. Wins a gold medal in a third Olympics, but now age is working against him. Then he gets a gold medal in the fourth Olympics. He now has a portfolio of well-rounded character qualities that have happened over the course of 16 plus years. That's you. You go through a trial, you're done with the trial, you have new character. God allows another trial. You go through that trial, you have new character. Then he allows another trial. You go through that trial, you have new character. And you're moving into a place of blessing because you now have greater strength than you ever had before. So again, I go back to this idea of, of piano or gymnastics. You know, when you start off playing piano, you're playing scales. And your first recital is a big victory. You start off with gymnastics and, you know, you're doing a little tumbling. But the day that you have your first victory at the collegiate level, it's an amazing thing. You have new piano character. You have new gymnastics character. God is committed to building character, the character of Christ and your life. Okay, so let's close with, some, with, some, with the process here. The process is I counted a joy, which means I'm grateful in advance for what God's going to do. And then I ask for wisdom. I'm grateful that his spirit can give me what I need in the midst of this trial.
I accept my circumstances. I am grateful for his provision. If it's high provision, if it's low provision, I deal with, the, with God in the midst of the circumstances. And then I, I persevere. I'm truly now grateful for the tangible things that he's done in my life. So uh, some takeaways. Actually, there's one takeaway. Uh, going to the main idea. When I express gratitude at the front end of a trial, and I continue to express gratitude at the conclusion of a trial, I am both loving God and I am facilitating my growth. Gratitude at the front end, gratitude to the conclusion, is a way of loving God. If I'm really going to say, God, I, I love you, I am going to consistently engage the discipline of gratitude all the way through the trial. Will it get harder before it gets better? Sometimes. Sometimes life gets harder before it gets better in a trial. Nevertheless, I'm going to maintain that attitude of gratitude knowing that God is going to do some things in my life character-wise that's going to be really good for me and really good for the people who love me, really good for my family. So here's my one, my one takeaway. My one takeaway is build a default sentence to use when trials come and practice that default sentence. Practice that default sentence. And the default sentence could be something as, sim as simple as this. Father, thank you for this trial. Father, thank you for the good things you're going to produce in this trial. Father, thank you that, for th that this trial, although hard now, is going to be good later. Father, thank you for this trial. We had a really interesting thing happen that, uh, that made me realize that the default sentence was crucial. A number of years ago, Cindy and I were sailing in a Hobie Cat 15, and uh, it was incredibly windy. And the people on shore said, it's really windy out there. It's kind of dangerous to sail. Ah, I know how to do this. I'm fine. Well, um, we caught the wind on a broad reach coming back to the shore, but there was a coral reef, and the waves were crashing over the coral reef about 50 yards out from the shore. And a Hobie Cat 16 is really hard to turn about, especially when you're on that kind of beam reach. So I'm thinking, there's the coral reef. Go about. The boat wasn't going about. There's the coral reach, go about. It was not going about. And pretty soon I'm saying to, saying to Cindy, okay, if we crash, this is what we both do. I mean, I thought we were going to crash. And all along I'm going, okay, Lord, thank you, thank you, Lord, thank you, thank you. Okay, thank you, Father, for this trial. Thank you for this trial, Lord. Lord, please rescue us. Rescue us. I do not want to crash into this coral reef. With about seven literally about seven yards left, I shoved it again. And then the boat turned around and we shot back to the shore. And we brought it in. The guy who was managing the waterfront said, see, <laughs> it's a really windy, dangerous day. But I'm glad I had a default phrase because that default phrase helped me in the midst of that trial. I really thought we were going to crash. Glad we didn't. Let's stand for a closing prayer.